Thank you for tuning in to the Practical Preservation Podcast. Please take a moment to visit our website, practicalpreservationservices.com, for additional information and tips to help you restore your historical home. If you've not done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and also like us on Facebook. Welcome to the Practical Preservation Podcast, hosted by Danielle and Jonathan Kepperling. Kepperling Preservation Services is a family-owned business based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, dedicated to the preservation of our built architectural history for today's use as well as future generations. Our weekly podcast provides you with expert advice specific to the unique needs of renovating a historic home, educating by sharing our from-the-trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home. Today on the Practical Preservation Podcast, we have Joby Hill with us uh, from the Saving Slave Houses organization. Joby, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Okay, so tell me a little bit about your background. So I am technically a licensed uh, historic preservation architect, but I also have um, degrees in anthropology, um, let's see, art history, and a little bit of archaeology. Okay. I, um, I, I find that we get a lot, because we're, we're preservation contractors, a lot of our best employees have art backgrounds. So that's not surprising to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, and in my mind, like all of those things, like if you do historic preservation, like all of those things are part of that. You know what I mean? So if you're going to kind of, you know, study that, you need to know a little bit about all those things. So like I said, that's, that's why I have those backgrounds because all of those are part of that. So you can't have one without the other in my mind. Right. So how did, how did you get started or interested in history or preservation? Um, so I think, well, I don't really know what kind of tipped me off to it. I think I've always just been interested in it. So I was one of those weird little children that always knew what I wanted to do. <laughs> so ever since I can remember, I always knew I wanted to be an architect. Okay. Um, but I didn't know what type of architect I wanted to be. Um, but I was always attracted to uh, like old dilapidated buildings. So the buildings that were like run down and like kind of missing part of the building, like those were the ones that always interested me. And the reason they interested me is because I always felt like they had a story to tell. And so I was always really curious. And what was that story? You know, why did they look the way they looked? And, you know, what were they trying to tell us? And for me, what has always been interesting about architecture is the people inside. So to me, architecture is about the people inside because, I mean, that's why you have buildings, you know, right. people. So architecture has always been about the people and the stories they have to tell and the stories of the people. You can find evidence of the people in the building. So it's always been about existing buildings and not um, like new design. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, I do. Late, uh, that doesn't excite me. <laughs> I've never been the architect's like, oh yay! I'm like, oh that okay. What am I supposed to do with this? Like, <laughs> right? You you don't want to you don't want to you want to figure out who the people were and how they used it because and you can learn a yeah. lot 
from, from oh yeah yes and it's it's always a mystery you always learn something new with an existing building and there's always a challenge like it because it's never buildings are never constructed the way they're drawn on paper first of all oh true yeah you know what i mean like because there's always it never goes as <laughs> planned ever and so you know when you look at existing buildings you you find those like just kind of mysteries and it's you have to figure out well why is it like this you know what what happened and um you know why does it look the way they look and you know why they why did people make these changes to accommodate what they were doing you know what were they doing that they needed to make these changes right yeah that's that's the puzzle i'd like trying to figure out yeah and sometimes it's an educated guess like sometimes people will show me things in buildings and i'll be like I don't know. And then it just happened this past fall that like the next weekend I was at a house and like, Oh, this is our, this is our sister. And I'm like, Oh, that's the same thing. I just saw. I just never saw one that looks like that. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Sometimes you can't, you can't figure it out like on that project and you don't figure it out until much later. It's like, Oh, that's what I was seeing. Yes. Yeah. Until you see it somewhere else. And yeah, I mean, one of the projects that I was working on that was really eye-opening for me is that I I saw something that it just it it kind of kind of put me in my place is that I I saw on a project that um, kind of the actual steps about how like when you like historically and even kind of today is that you know people would try things and it didn't always work out right. Yeah. And, you know, they had to make changes and kind of keep adjusting it because they were just trying something out to see if it would work because they, they people experimented with building technology. Right. And, and, you know, and still do yeah. today. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, and, and there is evidence of that somewhere, but we always, we just kind of expect that when we see a building that they weren't experimenting and it was always going to be built perfectly. Right. Well, and, and we find that too. And, and sometimes like when I'm talking to people about substitute materials, there's the, 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 sometimes the material they used was inferior because they were trying stuff out. Exactly. (laughs) So it's not always the best option. So yeah, Yeah. I I completely, I completely understand that. Yeah. So seeing that, like, but really seeing that, and it was very clear that they were experimenting, it just kind of, you know, put me in my place. And I was like, okay, so now kind of every product I'm on, I'm like, okay, I have to realize that some, like people did experiment and maybe what we're seeing is an experiment. You know what I mean? It right. Maybe, yeah. It's not anything at all. You know, maybe it's not some <laughs> history. It was, yeah. Yeah. You know, it, just there was experiment. not a reason. Yeah. 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 It just didn't work out. That, you know, that's not always the case, but you know, you just have to kind of take a step back and like, okay, you know big picture here what what's kind of really going on right yeah i think that's i think that's important i think that's important for people who interact with buildings anyway because oftentimes there are enough clues there to give you if you take a moment back and not just you know i'm going to go in and just tear everything out not that you know people from a preservation standpoint would do that but you know that that's an approach a lot of people take yeah yeah yeah. So, so um, I mentioned to you a little bit before we before we started recording that you know I'm interested in your project because I've been also you know re- um, researching the history of um, slavery in Lancaster County. Um, so, tell me about your your project, your saving slave houses, and how um, how that came about, and like what you're doing. 
yeah so it started when i was so as practicing architecture just private practice um and i i finally had figured out what type of architecture i wanted to do which was preservation architecture and so i went back to get my master's degree in historic preservation and so for uh for my master's thesis i looked at slave houses and slave narratives and i looked at uh two two programs that both started under the work progress administration in the 1930s um to get people back to work you know want to get architects back to work right to get writers back to work and you know the architects were documenting you know historic buildings and the writers were interviewing um formerly enslaved people and those two programs you know happened at the same time but they didn't coordinate in any way right in my mind i was like well because they happened at the same time i was like maybe there was some overlap i was like hopefully there's some overlap <laughs> yes i looked yeah. at those two two collections um and to see if there's any overlap and uh so the the architects that program was called the historic american building survey or HABS, and the writers were the federal writers project and that collection is the slave narratives project and so in the HABS collection there were 485 sites um, that had a documented slave house and in the slave narratives collection there are 1010 ex-slave narratives that describe their house during slavery and of those there are five that match so oh my goodness wpa ex-slave narratives that describe a specific documented hab site um and so that that was my master's thesis and in the kind of the case i was making that is you know when we interpret these spaces we should be taking um be looking at the words from the actual from the people that actually lived and work in these spaces not right. outside somebody um especially a white male outside somebody you know not especially not the slave owner right um, right we should be looking taking the words from the actual people that live there and work there um even though you know with the slave narratives they're uh you have to you know be careful when you're working at the collection for various reasons but still it's it's much more accurate than like i said from the slave owner's perspective right yeah um, yeah, I could I could imagine there was probably were you finding that when you say to be careful were you finding that there was some editing or some was is that what you mean by that yeah were so like the collection as a whole yeah. so like the federal writers project um like I said it was to get people back to work but the the program itself was um like the hiring was discriminated you know they discriminated yes, right hired um the the way they framed some of the questions were uh like biased and like racist mm -hmm. uh so but some of them but not all of them and so like the ones i was looking at were pretty straightforward and weren't um uh weren't necess necessarily threatening to the person being interviewed right you know, they were just you know like where did you live um who are your family members 
and you know and things like that so they were they would they could be tr- uh truthful answers without being threatening to the person being interviewed right questions like you know uh was your like how were you treated was your slave owner nice um things like that were could could potentially be threatening to the right like was your um was your overseer poor white trash (laughs) you know though the questions like that right highest and so those could be seen as threatening and so those probably were not answered as truthfully you know so um but i you know those weren't aren't really relevant to what i'm what you were looking at yeah yeah so so like i said you know just and and yes like you said some of them some of the narratives were uh um were changed and when you go through the question you'll see that they're there are two different narratives from the same person and they're drastically different. Um, so, you know, it's up to the reader to decide which one <laughs> was accurate. And it's, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's not hard to figure out. So yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. And those, I know I'm familiar with the Habs. I go on there fairly regularly. Are they both on the, um, library of congress like in that collection if somebody was looking for that yes they are a little fun known fact um is that so habs is the only wpa program that is still in existence today oh i did not know that yep all the rest of them were like i said it was so those programs were created to get people back to work you know so i think they're meant to be temporary programs right um but habs for I mean, I don't really know why, but it's the, yeah, that one stayed around and it's, it has since expanded. So now there's hair, which looks at engineering, um, locations and I guess objects. And then there's house, which looks at landscaping features. Yeah. So they've even expanded, but yeah, it's the only one that is still in existence today. Very cool. Okay. So, so you're, you started kind of with your thesis figuring out, you know, where, how you could come, how you could use the two programs and kind of find that overlap. And then oh, yeah. where did you go from there? Or, or what, how, how did you kind of start to, to, to organize yourself? Yeah. So, yeah. So why it's important that HAPS is still in existence today is that, so when I was in school, part of the program, the requirements was you had to do an internship somewhere. And so I did my internship with HABS over the summer, okay. summer architect for two summers. And um, while I was there, um, you know, one, I had access to their collection. So, you know, I could do all my research when I was there. But also, um, when I was there, one of the summers, uh, one of the architects, you know, asked me, they said, well, you know, how many of these structures have you actually seen? And I was like, well, none, because, you know, I'm doing archival research (laughs) to identify the sites. and they said, well, you know, because they're based in Washington, D.C., they said, well, you know, there's some in the area we should go out and see some while you're here. I was like, okay, great. So we went to some in Northern Virginia, and it was just a life-changing event. You know, actually being, visiting one of these structures and actually standing inside of it was so much different than seeing a picture of it. Right. You know the Habs photographs are amazing because they're done by professionals, um, and 
you know, they they really capture a lot, but it's it's not the same as actually standing inside of one of these structures. And, and being able to touch and yeah, I could I yeah. could see that being being a, a an experience. A definitely yeah. yeah. And, and so once the history, yeah. Yeah. So once uh so once, you know, once I graduated, um so so I did some documentation with them and then once I graduated, I just found ways to keep keep doing the documentation. But also what also when I right when I got out of school, um there's a job opening at Monticello. They were looking they were looking for an architect that knew about slave houses. I like I was like, oh, what are the chances? Right. <laughs> so and that and so so I immediately went to go work at Monticello and for the project for the Mulberry Road project. So, you know, all the restoration work they did at Monticello, um, focusing on the enslaved community there and their spaces, I was hired specifically for that. And um, in order to do my job well, you know, with that, you need to be doing research, but there there is no place to go to do research for this. Right. You know, besides the Habs question, but again, looking at the pictures, you can't, um, you can't gather details from looking at a photograph. It doesn't have measurements. It doesn't have, it just, it's just a photograph. You know what I mean? You can't really extrapolate anything from that. Right. In order you to don't get the detail, the details either. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I can't, uh, I can't do architectural drawings or construction documents from a photograph. Right. Um, so in order to do the research I need to do, I need to be going out and seeing these structures and getting, you know, gathering the information I needed. And so I needed to be doing the field work anyway, um, but also I knew it was important to do the field work. And so, like I said, so I was, I was doing it um, in my free time because I knew it needed to be done, but it was also, I needed to be doing it for the work I was doing in Monticello. Yes. So, yeah, that, that, that really, yeah, that makes sense. And it also, you know, provides authenticity. So we're, and I'm not, I'm not as familiar with, with the Mulberry uh, Row project at Monticello. Is it, um, were the buildings there, were you having to reconstruct them? Yeah. So um, Mulberry, so what Mulberry Row is, so Monticello was like the main house, Jefferson's main yes, house. Yeah. And right next to it was uh, like a road called Mul- Mulberry Row. And it had around over the the span of Monticello's history, it had around like thirty different enslaved buildings on it. And so I had to do architectural drawings of all those buildings. Okay. Um, two of them we did actual reconstructions of. Okay. Reconstructions. Um, one we did a restoration of because the. It, it one still survived. No, sorry, two still survived. A stone stable and a stone workman's house. Um, and then we also did um, restored the spaces of the south wing of the house. That were also were they also then for the enslaved people there? Yep. Yeah, the wings okay. of the house were okay. for the enslaved people. Okay. Yes. Okay. Very. Were there um, um, any like you were reconstructing? So were there were there documents from the from the working plantation that told you like what buildings were there to kind of give you or yeah so okay. we had the, uh archaeology was done um so there's archaeology and that that located 
where all the structures were, but there's also Jefferson had um, a 1796 insurance plat that located oh, yeah. where buildings were then. And on from that insurance um, document, it also told you the size of the building and the building materials. Um, and so which one and which ones were insured and which ones were not insured. Um, and then, and then, you know, archaeology confirmed or did not confirm that, but it was accurate is what right. we learned. But that archaeology also uh, ex um, identified other buildings, earlier or and or later buildings um, that were not on that insurance plat. Um, and then also, you know, Jefferson just wrote, kept meticulous notes. So there's also records of materials that he was um, sometimes fine but he also kept track of just how and when people worked okay so we also had things about about that like so we also knew so like the, for example the uh i call it building t because that's what it was on the insurance plat but it's interpreted as uh the hemmings cabin okay that took us from like kind of beginning to end about six months to reconstruct it right because it, it was done um there's three men working on it and they were doing it in the same methods that it would have been had done historically and it took them about six months to reconstruct that building same materials same methods right and from records that jefferson kept uh a building it wasn't that exact building but a building of this a similar size on the plantation took three men six days to build oh my goodness <laughs> yeah so, I mean, it just shows you how efficient they were. Yes, yeah. These structures up. I mean, they knew exactly what they were doing and they could put them up just in just ridiculous amounts of time. Oh, so, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. So are you, I, um, when you're looking for, are you're, you're, are you, is the goal, and I was on the website, um, but I, I'm not sure I completely understand it, is, is the goal to try to incorporate as many of the houses that are tied to enslavement in America on your, into your database? Is that the goal, like, no, without geographic boundaries, or do you have, like, geographic boundaries that you're, that you're working within? Um, so, my geographic boundaries are the United, is the United States. Okay, okay. Yeah, so that, that's it, just the U.S. Okay. Yeah, so I'd like to, um, I mean, a slightly unrealistic goal, but I'd like to document every known slave house in the united states granted i can't do that alone right um so once i'm able to expand and kind of get um established then you know others can contribute right okay so are you looking for people to send you things or do you are you not yeah, so, at that point yet well so people yes yeah, so people can already send me sites like that's on my website so you can send site on my website um and i just add it to my list so right now kind of the sites i'm focusing on for survey for the survey work i do is the the habs collection okay because there's never been like a there's never been a national survey of these structures the closest there was was habs and that wasn't intentional but they had right yeah national survey and they happened to capture slave houses so that's the closest we have. And it was done in the 1930s and 40s. And so what's nice about that collection is that it, it's a nice uh, comparison yeah, study. It's a snapshot. Yeah. 
um, but it, it doesn't accurately represent what was in each state. For example, like there were around 100 um, sites in Alabama and right next door in like Georgia and Mississippi, there was like less than 10. Oh, goodness. So whoever was out surveying just didn't think that was important to document. Yeah, like there are so many factors that played into what was documented um, that, yeah, that, it, I mean, we can't, you can't, I, I haven't been able to figure out why, why there's such a discrepancy between the states, but there was. Like I said, there's so many reasons on like who who was hired, how many architects were in each state, and blah blah blah. You know what I mean? That went into what was being documented. But yeah, so like I said, Alabama has like around 100, Mississippi and Georgia have like less than 10. You know what I mean? Oh goodness, yeah. Like I said, it's not a good representation, but it's all we have. Yeah, and so, for yeah, for like the northern states where there weren't necessarily separate housing, how are you? Are you just documenting them the main property, or how are you doing that? Well, so, so one, so when I say a slave house, I mean any um, freestanding structure in, uh, in which housing was one of the functions. So, okay. um, because enslaved people many times didn't have just a separate house to right. live in. They lived in the same space they worked in. Um, so that, that's especially true of like kitchens and wash houses. Like if you're the cook, you live in the kitchen. Right. Like you did not have a separate house because like cooking was just a 24 seven job. So you were always cooking. Right. Um, and same with like doing laundry. So, uh, so like, you know, that's why buildings had loft spaces. That's the loft space was the living space. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, and the main floor was, was a workspace, um, but also a living space. So, so yeah, so any, um, for my research purposes, it has to be a freestanding structure. It can be attached to the main house via breezeway. Okay. Um, but like, I'm not including, um, like the main house, although the right. house was also a slave house, but that's so tricky. Just like politically, politically, that I'm not <laughs> right. Um, but we all, but like, we all know that it was enslaved people lived there. So it was just as much of a slave house as it was the, the slave owner's house. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know, um, like, I would think at least like looking at, at, at Lancaster and, and, um, like a lot of the houses in Lancaster didn't have separate like summer kitchens. But then if you go outside, like outside of the city, a lot of them did. And I can see what you're talking about with the loft space above. And then, you know, you have the summer kitchen where the whole kitchen then is, you know, separate from the house. Yeah. 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 I can. I, so, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So it's, um, appreciating structures, um, that, if a building had a fireplace in it, the reason you have fireplaces is because that means someone was living there. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So that's that's kind of how I how you've kind of delineated how you want. Yeah. It. And that that makes sense to me. So I've noticed, and I don't know if you have um, a greater interest in including like more aspects or all aspects of our our collective history into the into the conversation have you noticed that have you seen that as a trend um that you're that as you work on this project 
Yes, no, I very much have. I, I mean, I kind of have discussed that with like colleagues of mine that, um, you know, trying to do this, you know, like 20, 30 years ago wouldn't have worked. Right. Um, because, because this, this interest, the interest is, this is, it's not new. Like I'm not the first person to ha take an interest in slavery or in slave spaces even. Um, it's just that I happen to come at the right time. Right. Do, you know, I have mentors um, like the um, Colonial Williamsburg, the group of architectural historians have been doing this work since the 1980s. Um, and they've done a lot of the things that I'm, uh, like I said, they've been doing documentation. They, Colonial Warrensburg had a reconstructed site, um, you know, of a whole enslaved community that was up and running for a very long time, but then closed in like 2000 and I don't know, like three or something. Uh, Clarenceburg like just sold the property. Oh but, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, Carter's Grove is called. Yes, Carter's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not new. It's just that it just it wasn't um, nationally. You know, people just weren't as interested in it back then, and so you know, it just didn't get as much attention. Right. So yeah. Now, yeah. So now. I just happen to be doing it when people are now, there's a greater conversation and people are taking more interest in kind of getting things done than they used to. Be. So, yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I think that that, I think there, that is, I wonder if the internet helps with that too, because you can, you can find people who are very interested yeah. in, in very niche things and then everybody can kind of work together. And I think that does help with, with some of these kind of projects because you're not just relying on, you know, the textbook writers or whoever, you know, whoever's, you know, filtering the information down, you can, you can find it yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. I, technology is a huge yeah. part of it. I mean, even just for the way I do my work, you know, I mean, like the Colonial Williamsburg, they're like, when they do documentation, they, when they go out and, you know, document a site, it was hand, they would hand draw everything. You know what I mean? Yes. Go out and document a site. I do everything electronically. I do it all on a little handheld computer. I don't, I don't need to ever pick up a pencil. You know what I mean? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So it, but it's the only way I, I'm, I'm able to do it by myself and do it quickly and efficiently to move through as many sites as I've moved through. You know what I mean? Cause I've yes. been to over 150 sites, you know, in a couple of years versus, you know, I mean, although actually, I mean, they, those teams, they, they move through sites in amazing speeds. I, they probably could, do, they did that too, probably. But you know what I mean? Like, I'm just able to do a lot by myself. Right. You, yeah, you're not working in a whole team of people and, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, it's yeah. just, it's just different. Yeah. It and is. so, yeah. I mean, it does kind of make me laugh because I, I work closely and with them and um, on a, I'm on a project right now with one of them and our, just our documentation methods are just completely different. Like, <laughs> It's just, it's just kind of funny, but, but it's, it's just the way we work. You know what I mean? And right. And every, yeah, everybody has kind of their own, their own preference. Yeah. I mean, and I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, ever, he's not going to change the way he does it. Right. Too, because he's, he's very efficient the way he does it. And 
I'm efficient the way I do it and we work well together and you know it's just it works out fine. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. so, so I, and, and so as you're working on, on your project and you're, you know, you're, you're working as a, as, I'm, I'm assuming that you still work, you know, as a preservation architect too. Is that a correct assumption? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So uh, do, what do you wish that you knew when you started out that you, that you know now? Oh, Um, maybe kind of the, it kind of, kind of about what we were discussing about kind of the, how there's a greater interest in this. So oh, yeah. more kind of a business aspect. So like I said, I've gotten, I've gotten a lot done by myself. Um, but, uh, it would be better if there was a team. Yeah. Um, but that, it, but what, but because I've started by myself, it's not easy to then, in, um, bring other people on. That's true. Yeah. And, you and it's I mean? hard to, it's hard to kind of relinquish some of that, of that, uh, those, those tasks, because you know, you have your system. Yeah. 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 I, I I think that's pretty, pretty, pretty typical. Yeah. So, so what, so kind of what I'm doing now is kind of transitioning. I mean, essentially kind of what this is turned into, um, or what I guess kind of has to turn into kind of the next level is, is like a business in a, in a way. I mean, actually, I mean, for me, it'd be a nonprofit, but, Mm -hmm. um, is you know is taking it to the next level of how do you bring other people on board right um, to to help out because you know it's one thing to do things by yourself but when you bring other people on it's a whole you know it's a whole nother animal it is yeah yeah that's yeah, i think still- that i think that's a struggle when any any organization does that transition from just the founder to you know kind of growing and figuring out how to do it i think that's i think that's pretty typical yeah. So that, that, that's kind of, kind of where I'm at. Um, so, so I, I guess it's not really kind of what I wish I would have known. Um, it's kind of more, I kind of wish I had more experience in that. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Um, I but I guess my thing, I guess what I could have done is had another degree in it. <laughs> Well, I sometimes, to do. sometimes it's easier just to jump in the deep end. True story. <laughs> yeah. So there, but there I, are t- there's times where I, I, cause my, my degrees are in business and, and there's times where I'm like, I don't know, like we just have to make a decision. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know if another degree would have helped me right now, but <laughs> probably not. But, right. It, yeah. It, it might make you, it might, it might make you feel a little better, but I don't know if, I don't know if it would help. <laughs> Yeah. So, oh, so would you also say that that's your biggest challenge, or do you feel like you have another a, a, a challenge that is um, a, a, another challenge? That's one of them. That's definitely one of them. Um, another one is um, is being so 
I don't know if you notice on my website. So my, the database is not on my website. Okay. Um, and I try to make that clear on my website, but people don't always get that, but it's not on my website because, um, it's, it kind of quickly grew beyond me and beyond just like a normal, um, kind of out of the box database. Yes. Program. So, so I need, I need a partner, like kind of the next kind of thing I'm looking for and need to find is, uh, like I need a partner with a, a, like a technology, um, technology company that's kind of pushing the boundaries for, you know, data. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That wants to work with me and help me create my database because they're doing innovative things. And, you know, wants to use my data set to try, try those things out. Um, because, you know, how, how I see my database working is, um, like I said, not something out of the box. Um, and so that's kind of my next biggest challenge is finding that, um, that company that wants to work with me and try out some new things. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's, uh, um, I do some consulting work for our local uh, preservation uh, nonprofit and we were talking about, you know, putting, digitizing their database because that's really, you know, what their, what their strength is, is that they, you know, have spent, you know, the past 40 years, you know, people have gone out surveying the properties in the county and uh-huh. that's really and and you know that that it is daunting to to have to figure out the technology and you know also then the the well yours is probably all digitized because this was all before you know pre-digital but you know yeah. then that whole digitizing process too is you know it's a it's a one-time thing but it's still a process oh yeah and it takes time i mean that's so i mean that's what i did for Clone and Williamsburg, you know, I said that, you know, they did everything by hand and I, I wanted to have access to all of their, everything they did. And so I, I got, I applied for fellowship with them. I got four fellows. I got a fellowship for four years in a row. And when I worked with them, what I did was digitize their entire collection for them because I, I wanted a copy of, you know, their drawings and kind of our agreement was, you know, if I digitize their collection, then I could have a copy of the relevant drawings that they had. Yeah. And it was just, it was faster just to digitize everything and then go through it than it was to go through it and try to find what I wanted. Right. Yeah. Digitize it because, you know, they, I mean, it was organized, but not perfectly organized you no know? because people have gone in and pulled files and then didn't file them back right yeah and because they were still using it yeah, right. we're still yeah. Working, we're still working with it and so I was just like I'll you know I was like I'll just I'll just digitize everything you know I was like I'll just go through it digitize it and then we can be and I was like it also be useful you know I was like oh, yeah. this instead of just me doing a few you know, not doing all of it. I was like, I also, that's just the way I work. You know, I was like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it all. <laughs> <laughs> Get it done. Yeah. Oh, so, Literally, if, so. Yeah. Are, are there ways that someone could help you or get involved? Are you, are you feeling like you're at that point? Um, I'm not quite at that point, okay. but people have, people do email me and offer to help and get involved. And I do, I mean, I do keep track of that. So it's okay. definitely, if they do email me and, you know, tell me that they can help me in some way or, 
something like that. I definitely keep track of that. So, you know, I might, you know, contact them later on, you know, when I pop up somewhere and say, oh, so I might reach out to them at some point. So I'm never going to uh, just delete those by any means. Right. No, no. Yeah. As much yeah you never know yeah. um, <laughs> when I might have to reach out to them. So, yeah, but uh, but right now, and it, it also kind of depends, you know, where I am and where I'm doing work and, you know, so, yeah, so I always appreciate when people do, you know, reach out to me, but uh, it, it's just, it might be a while before, you know, I that you need yeah that you're ready yeah how how should our listeners get in contact with you should they go to the website yeah they can go to the website and then um on the website there's various ways to contact me you know there's um if they have like an interview request or professional services or um just a general inquiry there all that is on my website or if you know of a site there's also a link on there to suggest a site. To suggest a site. Okay. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask you about or anything that you wanted to share? Anything else you wanted to share? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Well, very good. Thank you. Thank you for, um, for being on the podcast today. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.